hello, all you daring dragonflies out there. Welcome to another episode of The Little Greener, a podcast all about conservation, sustainability, and nature. We're happy to have you back. My name is Casey, and I am joined by the wonderful Sarah. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hello. I'm doing very well. Did something in particular make you think of dragonflies this week? Or did it Um, just pop into your brain? I mean, our topic today, spoilies, but you've read the title, wind energy. And so I was like, what animals need the wind? I'm like flying things. And then I, it never happens that both an adjective and an animal pop into my head really quickly. And it did this time. And I was like, going for it. Just going to run with the energy there. So. Fair enough. I'm just, I'm always curious for those of you listening, if if this is your first time, we start every week with a different, usually animal, but something from nature. And it's always funny to just see the other person struggle in the moments before we hit the record button to try to figure out. It's like, if you have a a thing in mind, you have zero adjectives to go with it, or or you just forget every animal that... uh... And we try and keep them positive, too, so you don't want, like, something that's mildly insulting to all of our (laughs) listeners, so So we do our best. So, Casey, last week we talked about the headlines that were coming out about 69% decline in wildlife and kind of what that meant, and you gave us our challenge for the week, which was which was keep your eyes out for news about the upcoming conference conference, conference on... of the parties or whatever yes, it is conference that's right, of right? the parties yes which um it's it's basically for the convention of biodiversity mm-hmm. taking a look at at nation's commitment to nature and that starts tomorrow yeah it starts right? tomorrow mm-hmm. so we haven't like officially been able to do that challenge yet but i wanted to say it because it does start tomorrow for us as we're recording this it's already going on uh for while you're listening or happened I don't know how many days it goes it's two weeks long it's It's two weeks weeks long so there's lots of time and I actually got my first article recommended to me and I clicked on it yeah look at you read those (laughs) articles yeah I actually learned um that I think it was a Vox article but they were talking about how a lot of the negotiators who are negotiating the terms of this conference are actually probably some similar people who did the climate stuff. Okay. And so they were basically like, these are exhausted negotiators coming off the tail of this. But also that there was recently a conference of parties about CITES, which is a wildlife trading Mm -hmm. um, agreement internationally. And so they listed some more species for that too. So I already learned a little bit from a new article, but if you see one popping up, that seems like it's going to have some more information for you. Check it out. Look at you go. I, have, I had not <laughs> seen anything uh, come across my news feed yet. But I, like I said, I did want to mention it because if you're as you're listening to this episode, just keep that in mind. It's going on now. So don't forget to check out your information on that. Casey, you have anything else to share before we start diving question? I'm ready to dive into wind energy, okay. Sarah. Well, before we dive into wind energy, I have a very very random do it opening question for you okay that i hope will end up being related in a sort of roundabout way <laughs> the, the subject of the question is not related the sort of reasoning behind the question i hope will become related 
Anyway, okay. it's a it. would you rather question, Casey. So yeah, would you rather <laughs> No, it's not, but it's not. It's it's an opinion. Okay. Would you rather have to live in the town that you're born in for your entire life or move every month? Oh, for the live rest in the, of your life. Live in the town I was born in. No for hesitation. Sure. Absolutely. Moving is miserable. <laughs> I just like we we have done it several times in the last couple of years. I hate doing it. And you like don't have a home base with all your friends and stuff. But okay, two things. I, that was my initial reaction as well. But I'll say two things. It's never leave the place you're born. So oh, this is never like, leave. You can, yeah. So I would I would if you take that literally to mean like you can't even Shoot. like travel. Shoot. So like never leave the place that you're born or have to move so if you take it lit does that change your answer i guess it does because i guess if you are moving every month you're just gonna have a different like a lot of the logistics of moving you're just probably gonna eliminate you're gonna be like i don't want to rent all just my get an rv furniture. right yeah just get get a mobile tiny home yeah i would rather experience the world but and it doesn't say you can't come back to the original place. No. No. So I could move back to certain places. It's I don't like either option, but <laughs> I guess I guess you're right. If I if I had to never leave my hometown, you guys, if you're around Pottstown, Pennsylvania, you you want to get out sometimes. I don't live in Hawaii, so <laughs> so there's not so much um a paradise aspect of it but uh the yeah i i guess i'll go with move every month but man yeah, that seems like two sad options <laughs> yeah it's hard depending on how you i mean there's also good things about both if depending i guess whether or not yeah. you enjoy your hometown and like some I, people don't leave their hometown ever right very yeah. true and they're just very connected to their community mm -hmm. and their family and you know whatever i was born in Durham, North Carolina, a fact of which I am prouder about than I should be. But <laughs> but I've spent very little time there. But the time that I have spent, I thought it was lovely. And, you know, it's a college town. I feel like there'd be stuff to yeah. do, whatever. Uh, and moving is the worst. Like, moving is the, worst. the worst. I will say, I just found this question randomly on the internet. And it was, it was actually phrased to stay in the place you were born or have to move every week and that I was like there's definitely no context there so I changed it to make it I feel like a little more of a of a fair fight and you know you could see things remotely through the internet or whatever if you stayed in the place of your birth but but then I could then I was like but I, I do feel like I would want to travel and see things and you could stay connected to your hometown through the internet. And if you did do something like get an RV, then moving every month would not be as big of a deal. So I think that I also lean towards I would move every month. But it's interesting, depending on how you look at it, depending on how you frame it up and what you how you weigh the sort of pros and cons that I could actually make myself go for either option. Now I'm just interested to see how this connects to wind Gosh, energy. Gosh, I really hope it does. <laughs> not, not wind energy specific in itself, but you'll okay. see. We are going to talk a little bit about wind energy. We're actually going to focus on a couple specific aspects of wind energy. Wind energy. So stick around for that. 
right, welcome everyone to our discussion on wind energy, or at least some aspects of wind energy. So we are continuing our energy series, which I really didn't think was going to stretch out as long as it has, but we still have more to do. There's there's oh, yeah. more energy types that we haven't talked about yet. I did approach this one a little bit differently because if you've been listening, if you've listened to our other, we've done our energy 101 and we've done a few, we've done nuclear, we've done coal, we've mm-hmm. done solar. solar, we've done a few different, you probably have a sense of overall what we're going to say. A lot of what we've been talking about with energy, one of the the big reasons that we talk about renewable energy in the environmental world is because we're trying to reduce emissions and all of these renewable energy types, they just do have enormously fewer emissions compared to fossil fuels. And there's not really so much else that we can say on that just anything anything that you look up is going to go through that the life cycle assessments and all of that just show yes there are different numbers that you can find but all of them are significantly significantly less uh, than those fossil fuels so i don't want to dwell too much on that Uh, i will say that yes of course just like other energy types there are emissions uh, when you're looking at the construction and the maintenance of the turbines but life cycle assessments take all of that into consideration so they're emission heavy like pre-energy generation but the actual energy generation itself is emission free and so that all balances out to make those emissions just minuscule compared to fossil fuels so so we're we're not this episode gonna harp anymore and try and make an argument about the climate impacts of wind versus fossil fuels you guys if you want to hear those conversations go listen to the solar go listen to the energy 101 Mm -hmm. just know that like the numbers are in for climate yeah and we have some of the same studies and graphs and things that we linked to in those episodes Mm -hmm. also show wind energy so you can see those numbers there too i am gonna sort of step back around to this a little bit Uh, not specifically to emissions but a little bit later on but yeah we're not that's not going to be the bulk of energy i will still kick off with a little bit super fast uh just about how uh wind energy works and casey we have talked about this before i don't even remember which episodes or what context but we've both seen wind farms right Mm -hmm. you've had and you've been up close to a wind turbine before is that right (laughs) yeah um at the university i went to in northern ireland there was like a single wind turbine on campus that we would like sit underneath and you could hear the like of the turbine so like very very close yeah so we've seen them very very simply put wind is going to turn those big turbine blades and these are very large i didn't put the numbers down here but yeah these are these are huge structures so wind is going to turn those turbines The turbines are connected to a generator and that generator is going to generate electrical energy from that kinetic energy and that is going to be transported then along power lines uh, from these wind farms to the national grid. Super simple explanation right there. Uh, So so we've seen these farms obviously on land. There are also offshore wind farms. All of this could probably be its own episode as well, but I'm not really going to 
dwell too much on this. I will say offshore compared to these on land wind farms, some people are leaning more towards we should be looking at these offshore farms because they're more efficient. If you've ever been to the coast, whether that's of the ocean or I grew up near the Great Lakes, uh, you probably notice that when you're out there, there tends tends to be windier. The wind tends to be more consistent uh, and stronger. So that obviously means more efficient power generation for those offshore um, turbines. So it, it requires fewer turbines to produce the same amount of energy as an onshore wind farm. Some people say there's a reduced environmental impact, but we know that there is a potential cost to marine life as well with these. So for me, reading this little bullet point actually requires a little more research, but some people do make the argument that there is a reduced environmental impact. Uh, yeah, I, that's definitely something that in the future we can talk more about. I do think it's important to say, like, when we say offshore, these are not, like, in the middle of a coral reef, for example. Mm -hmm. Like, these tend to be, you can't see them from the beach a lot of times. They're in the deeper open ocean where there's less uh, structures at the bottom of the ocean that might be impacted specifically about, not that there isn't bottom-dwelling life, but that right. there's less structures and habitat going on that would be as dense as something that would be right on the edge of the the shore uh, and there's a lot of space obviously a lot of our planet is covered in water so wow. that's something to to consider too there is also a higher cost with construction of these offshore wind farms so that's a, a potential con to these there is also potentially more maintenance and repairs required because of those higher wind speeds and also the water that you're dealing with um and they also point out that there can be the fact that it's farther away from people can also be a negative because sometimes on land wind farms can actually be owned by smaller organizations or even sometimes individuals, whereas these offshore wind farms are always going to be a very commercial uh, enterprise because of how much investment is required in them. I think it's important to note that like some of this is pretty dynamic as well. So like the higher mm -hmm. cost element, for example, over the past just couple years has gone significantly down compared to where it was. Like it almost used to be not worth it to do this because it was so prohibitively costly because technology and scaling has gone up. They're building bigger wind turbines than ever before and it's become cost effective. So that's yeah. pretty cool. I also love the idea of um, thinking of our power sources as something that could be locally owned. Because I don't generally conceptualize any energy as being anything other than like this big corporate entity mm -hmm. from something that I don't have any control over how much it costs. But it's true. Like there's if we have more community involvement, your local community could have more control over where its power sources comes from. And that would give you more incentive to keep the costs lower for the customer because you're not like getting all of the profits going to some far off place. Right. It. I will say, just doing research for this episode, as always, I, I wish that I had more time because it is so fascinating. And there does seem to be so much changing so quickly yeah. with these renewable energy 
types. I found the same thing with solar panels. It's just like you, you're reading one thing and then you read about, oh, but there might be this advancement or this advancement, or they're changing this to make this more efficient. And they're changing this to make this more easily recyclable, recyclable uh, and that sort of thing. So it is really fascinating to see how kind of quickly these technologies are developing also makes it hard to research because you keep going down different rabbit holes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot out there uh, uh, on wind that's really interesting to read about. Um, but Casey, I do want to focus this episode mostly on some specific challenges that are associated with wind. So when you think about wind energy, what are kind of the big challenges or arguments maybe that you're familiar with? Well, there's one that I think of pretty quickly because I think it's uh, and no offense to anyone out there who feels like this the silliest one which is that it's unattractive Mm -hmm. Uh, the reason I think it's silly is not just because I don't think that they're particularly unattractive but that a lot of sources of energy are unattractive like an oil rig is not attractive you just might not happen to live next to it and have to think about it right and a wind farm might be put in your community because you live in a place that is attractive, but like you, now you're experiencing energy. I just think that like either way, we're going to have something that no one's going to want to live near. And I rather live near a wind farm than live near a uh, oil rig, for example. So I find that one a little just not as relevant to the actual argument, but uh, that I hear a lot for both that and solar. I agree. And I think it's interesting, too, because I do think wind farms tend to be, you, the ones on land even tend to be fairly remote. Like, I used yeah. to drive through wind mm-hmm. farms, and there were, I guess, some rural homes. It's, I mean, it's like farmland, basically. So there were maybe some houses that could see these things, but they don't tend to be in places even where they're going to be huge. But yeah, you do hear that, uh, both visual and noise yeah as being an argument for people although when i was reading about the decibel level requirements for these farms they're not particularly obtrusive or anything like that but you do hear that you you hear those arguments for pe- from people uh, what other ones are you familiar with well i think the things that become more compelling are collision arguments Mm -hmm. so the fact especially birds make the headlines a lot of colliding with wind farms and i believe they've actually been sued by government entities based on like endangered species act things because they some of those wind farms haven't taken proper precautions to help protect birds so i'm interested to see kind of what our numbers are yeah so that's one of the big ones that i wanted to talk about tonight is you'll hear for both bats and birds in particular, that wind energy poses a threat to those species. So looking into this a little, as with so many things, it's hard to determine actual numbers. So the first kind of main number that popped up for me regarding birds, and this is United States specific, one paper that I was looking at said that annual avian mortality in the United States, specifically from collisions with the turbines, is 0.2 million. Casey, correct me if I'm wrong. That's 200,000. 
her Correct. death. Correct. Yes. <laughs> Correct. Uh, so, and they compared that in, in this paper to 130 million mortalities due to power lines and anywhere from 300 to 1,000 million, which is a weird way it's a to billion. say that. Yeah, <laughs> but that's literally how they worded it. Uh, from uh, collisions with buildings. So that was kind of the first thing I found. And this paper that I was looking at cited that 200,000 number from a Department of Energy wind vision report. So I looked at that report and they actually cited another study <laughs> that I wasn't able to, it didn't have a link or anything like that. So I wasn't able to pull that up. So I started looking around to see, well, is this corroborated anywhere? Is this kind of, you know, what everybody is saying? And I found the American Bird Conservancy website, and they have a whole bunch of information on birds and wind energy on their site and they argue that this is likely a very low estimate and do also highlight that this is actually this is specifically only looking at collisions with the turbines themselves and doesn't look at deaths from sort of other threats that wind farms can pose to birds such as the fact that these Farms do need to be connected to the grid. So sometimes power lines are built specifically mm -hmm. for these farms. And as was stated in that other paper, birds die from power line interactions as well. So it's not taking into account additional power lines that are constructed for these wind farms. And then they also mention any habitat fragmentation that these wind farms might cause or habitat sort of alteration, degradation uh, that might result in the in challenges for these birds as well. So they look at other studies. They put together a whole kind of series of numbers. Of course, we'll link to all of these, but estimates in, in the hundreds of thousands potentially even over a million are, are are numbers that they suggest, but it's hard to know exactly. They're all estimates and it kind of depends on what you want to put under the umbrella of deaths caused by these wind farms. So, yes, and I think we should always be critical of like how things impact wildlife. And I don't want to minimize it because we've also talked about how there's so many things facing or threats facing birds that eliminating some of these things can help. I do think that this argument often comes out without context comparing it to other energy sources. So like we need to get our energy from somewhere. I feel like that needs to always be in our mind is that we're going to have to get our energy from somewhere. It's not whether or not we build this solar farm or it doesn't exist. It's this energy is going to have to also potentially replace alternatives and things like coal pollution, fossil fuels, nuclear power plants also have impacts on birds as well. And it's hard to find concrete numbers. Right now I'm looking at a preliminary study that looked at bat, a bird and bat fatalities from wind, fossil fuels, and nuclear energy. And they were looking at it per gigawatt. And fossil fuels have many times more attributed bird deaths per gigawatt energy than wind. So I do feel like 
we have to always think about that in context. Like it's not a a conversation that excludes other energy sources. 100%. And Casey, does what you're looking at, does it talk about the, the sources of those mortalities for other energy sources? It does deeper in here, but I just looked it up right now. So I, <laughs> I will link it in the show notes so uh, people Perfect. can read it. Yeah, that's fair. I think I have an article somewhere looking at, at the same thing too. But yeah, so so along with what you said, that's what the uh, American Bird Conservancy, I was like, the ABC, what does it stand for? <laughs> uh, that, that they acknowledge that as well so despite the fact that they're saying uh look we think that these bird fatality numbers for wind farms is really low like we don't agree we think that these wind farms are causing more problems for birds than most of these articles and studies are are acknowledging Mm -hmm. we still support wind energy so i think that that is actually really important to note they just want to be careful with how this wind energy is implemented so they have information on that and um they have this this kind of interesting risk assessment map that they put on their website there and so they kind of want wind farms to avoid these critical areas when i first pulled up the map i was like okay this like it's all of it (laughs) (laughs) but you can see that they have some areas highlighted as more critical than others, uh, especially the uh, western half of of the country is a lot of it they consider a critical habitat. So I think maybe avoiding the most critical habitats and that sort of thing and putting other mitigation strategies into effect where wind farms are implemented are important. So, But I think it's a cool resource to look at and kind of see what they have there and why they have these areas marked as critical. But I I just think overall, too, it's important that they acknowledge that wind energy is part of the solution because we know that climate change is going to impact bird species as well. And it's really hard to put numbers on those types of things, but they basically say that, yeah, if we don't do anything and we keep using these fossil fuels as our energy sources and we're not doing anything to mitigate climate change, things are going to be bad for these birds also. So yes, let's do these renewable energy sources, but let's try to do them as reasonably as possible with what we know about how they can threaten these bird species. Yeah. And I think that's why people latch on to the bird fatality argument too, mm-hmm. is that it's really easy to conceptualize. We've all mm-hmm. seen a bird hit a window and like understand that. And so you can really quantify it a lot more easily than you can say there was a, a coal plant and now there was acid rain and that acid rain impacted this waterway and then birds died because that was contaminated. It feels like too many steps Spread in the out. story. Yep. It's vague and like, can you actually pinpoint it to one particular source? Maybe not as easily as the wind farm, but doesn't mean it didn't make a difference. Right. And and there are solutions already in play for bird and wind farm interactions as well. There are both human and technological monitoring systems that some wind farms are utilizing to identify birds uh, in the area. And some of them will use like auditory deterrence, like there will be audible oh, yeah. noises to scare the birds away. Or uh, there 
if it's a human monitoring system, they can recommend curtailment. So basically, hey, we've got, you know, a potential issue with birds coming in, stop these turbines or, or whatever. So that's interesting. Uh, and I think they're, you know, working on developing more kind of technological based solutions on that end. And then some recent articles that I've seen popping up would talk about painting the turbines black or painting, yes. I guess, just one turbine black. Have you heard about this at all? I have. It seems like a very simple solution that yeah. is deceptively simple. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's interesting is I saw recent articles popping up, but then when I started to look into it, there were things coming up from a couple of years ago too. So I was like, oh, if it's really that simple, why haven't we uh, implemented? <laughs> and yeah. I, I think there's still just not enough data. So this goes back to your challenge from last week of making sure that you actually read articles instead of just headlines. Cause there was one article that was basically saying we've see like a 70% decrease in bird mortality with wind turbines when you but just by painting the turbines black and I was like dang why aren't we doing this right. all the time and then you read the study and this was this was a study it was done in Norway but it only looked at eight turbines four of them were painted black and over the course of the years, they they did monitor over several years. I think it was like 10 years total. Don't quote me 100% on that. Uh, but they monitored these eight turbines for several years before and after painting for a grand total of 42 <laughs> bird collisions over that time. So it's not a very high sample. It's not a robust data set. Yes, exactly. We so, can't necessarily say that that, especially right. it would be interesting to look at that in an area of high migration yeah. and see if that impacts like over the course of the year, or if there's certain times of year that like, I don't know, they've yeah. got mating on the brand that they don't care about it right. or what, what, yeah, it, I, that seems like a lot to extrapolate. And is out is of it going to be site specific or species specific, or, you know, is right. it going to work for different species of birds? So sounds pretty cool. Could be really helpful needs more data but yeah. it is a potential solution and the the idea is that it helps with oh I can't remember the terminology now but basically you know when things get blurry when they're moving really quickly and you can't see they don't clearly, paint them all they just like paint they paint one one yeah, yeah. So, so that basically breaks up they that would see yeah. yeah so they would sort of see this black blur basically so that's kind of the idea behind it so I hope they do I don't know if there's any active more active research being done on that right now but it certainly seems like it would be a easy silver not yeah. super expensive solution if uh, it really is helpful so things in play for birds uh, and then with bats there's less data available uh, as compared to birds and wind turbines, uh, but there are some sort of just interesting things that come up with bats. So uh, bat fatalities are generally from direct collision with the turbine. So we're, like where we talk about with birds, there may be other issues. And things, but, yeah. yeah, but for bats, it seems like it's direct collision with the turbines is their biggest threat. And what's interesting is that it doesn't seem like it's just a case of them not seeing it, like they're just flying through and they don't see it. 
they seem to, for some reason, be attracted to the turbines. Uh, like they're flying around almost and like exploring them. Huh. I mean, that's so interesting because they're not relying on their vision. They're relying on mm-hmm. their echolocation sensibility. So I wonder if the the noise from it interferes with that to some level or if they're just like whoa <laughs> this is noisy what's yeah, going on i don't know here? but but that's a potential solution that they're looking at too is using like acoustic deterrence for yeah. them to make it sort of uncomfortable for them to be around these turbines because it doesn't seem like it is making them uncomfortable so can we make it uncomfortable for them um but so so that's interesting in and of itself like yeah and and uh, more work is going to be done to study that as well. Um, fatalities unsurprisingly increased during fall migration. So there are some specific bat species that seem to have the biggest issues. Those migrating bat species that, that seem to have the bigger issues with the wind turbines. And it seems very logical to me that, of course, fatalities would increase uh, during periods of migration. And... Fatalities are also higher during periods of low wind speed. Again, that tends to be when our bats are going to be more active. So it makes sense. But there's a lot that needs to be learned about bats and their behavior uh, around these wind turbines. So earlier this year, the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, the NREL, which I feel like has come up a few times in our series, uh, gave funding to three different studies on bats and wind energy, looking at where and how these bats are spending their time, you know, hopefully just helping us, I guess, figure out sort of what deterrent is going to work best for these. If we know why they're spending the time, their time where they are, we can kind of figure out how to keep them away from it. And then, of course, we can't talk about bats without bringing up our favorite bat conservation organization, Bat Conservation International. Uh, And much like the American Bird Conservancy, they have similar feelings on bats and wind energy in that it's acknowledging that it's a threat to species, but still supporting wind energy. Like one and wanting to work with um, the stakeholders involved to make sure that we can continue to develop this energy source in a way that's going to be safe for the bats. So they also have a great page uh, with some information in their thoughts and what they're doing to find solutions. That's including uh, working with researchers, the government non-governmental organizations, and wind turbine manufacturers to determine what can be done to make things as safe as possible and for bats and again there are some solutions already in play like those acoustic deterrents that i mentioned and again it, it seems really uh straightforward to me that if we know fatalities are highest during migration and highest during low wind speed especially because less energy is produced when wind speeds are lower anyway, that stopping turbines during periods of low wind would be a easy, relatively, like, not costly solution to just have, like, a minimum 
a minimum wind cutoff max i don't know how you would minimum, see that yeah, I think but when, it, when the wind goes yeah. below a certain threshold you stop the turbines because they're not going to be generating much energy if any anyway yeah i wonder i mean the one of the arguments against some of these sources like wind is that they are in intermittent energies they're not mm-hmm. A consistent source of energy so i can see where that would be a challenge for the wind producer like even if they're producing a certain amount of energy even if it's below what their optimal level is we still need energy so i don't know maybe i just don't think that a wind operator would be convinced of this argument maybe that's my thing i think they'd rather paint a blade than stop a turbine Uh, well i'm sure that's true But also, I don't know, and I guess that's the thing that I need to read a little bit more about is what is what is the minimum wind speed at which a turbine is going to generate any electricity? Anyway, I don't know. To me, it makes sense if I get just during this period of migration, at least if there were some kind of standard in play. uh, I was going to say, I think it's a government regulation thing. Like, I just don't see it as like a voluntary implementation from a company. That's what I mean. I I feel like that that would be, uh, that would be the case. So that is the biggest one to me uh, that, that I feel like I hear about with wind energy is just this sort of wildlife hindrance and it was interesting to kind of read a little bit more about that to see what the numbers actually were and how big of a problem this actually is and to know that conservation organizations specifically dedicated to this species are still saying hey we support wind energy basically we just need to be thoughtful about where we do it and we need to be continuing to work on making it safer for these species so that's good to know from those experts in that field The other one that I wanted to mention sort of circles back to emissions a little bit, but I wanted to mention it because this is a thing that I have seen multiple times on social media, and I think it it just brings up a couple of points that we need to keep in mind when we're talking about these things. So this is a post that involves a wind farm in Mount Pulaski, Illinois. I don't know where that place is, but uh, so I'm just going to read what this post says. I also want to just preference it with this is not true. Yeah, it's absolutely just completely 100% false. But the, the post says that this wind farm in Mount Pulaski has been running for three and a half years that they have been replacing all of the generators in their wind towers. And they say that there's a hundred generators in this wind farm. So evidently the lifespan on the generator is about three to four years. It goes on to say that it takes 12 semi trucks and trailers, a nine axle, 500,000 pound crane, a 100,000 pound crane and 12 pickup trucks to change each generator. And that it's a huge amount of fuel being used to maintain these wind towers. And it's apparently attributed to someone named Glenn Perkins. But I've seen just it posted and shared and screenshotted by different names of like strangers, people I don't know, but then it's shared by people. So it's just one of those things that's gone viral multiple times attributed to different people. It's just absolutely, there's nothing true. There's nothing true about it. And yet it gets shared and passed on as so many things do 
it has just enough specificity to with, feel exact, like a with, thing that if you already feel yeah I just don't know. I don't know if this is ever something that anybody originally actually wrote. Do you know what I mean? Right. Or if yeah. it was just one that, you know, like if somebody actually thought this or if it was just some completely bogus thing that somebody made purposefully up. put out there to mislead yeah. uh, people. But the fact is that this has been debunked by everybody, including the company that owns the farm that the, the post doesn't name the wind farm, but it shows a picture of an actual wind farm uh, with there was like a utility truck in the photo or something like that. But uh, but the company that owns the wind farm in the post said that the farm replaced 17 gearboxes, not 100 generators, wind turbines, are expected to last 20 to 25 years, not three to four years. Certainly maintenance is going to be required sometimes on turbines. That is true with literally any, anything, any energy source, but any, anything that is built needs maintenance. Your house needs maintenance. Your car needs maintenance. A wind turbine is going to need maintenance. So going after is wind, a job, yes. too. like I feel like the same people who would be maybe frustrated about wind energy's details would also be people who care about the economic job loss associated mm -hmm. with reducing fossil fuels. Like that is one of the main arguments I ever hear about keeping coal and fossil fuels around is people are employed by this. Well, people are also employed by wind farms, too, to maintain them. Yeah. For sure. So again, it's it's just I bring this up for a few reasons. One is because I wanted to fact check it when I first right. read it. I was like, dang, like if this wind farm really is having to replace their generators that often, like, is it? what is that? Yeah. yeah, I want to know if this is if this is accurate or not. Um, so I think that is a good thing to do when we see information. Again, going back to read the articles, not just the headlines. If you see something shared like this that you're like, yeah, man, that doesn't sound good. Take a second. Look it up. Like I literally just put Mount Pulaski wind farm generators into Google search to see what would come up and was very quickly like, oh, okay, this isn't true. So I think it is good to read things that don't align with your views. When I was sitting down to do this podcast, I definitely like looked up specifically looking for like what the arguments were against wind right. energy and how does it stack up. That's a good thing. But then, you know, question things too, I guess. Does that make sense? Did I say any of that clearly? Well, I, th I think all of that's correct. But to like clarify it from my perspective is you should always try and find things that might challenge your assumptions mm -hmm. about things. If you have a gut feeling about something, it, it's nice to have data that backs it up. But also, especially on social media, if you see something like this that feels like it might be a real story, it's like the headlines thing. You have to do the next step, which is like, look at it. Even I, I once shared actually a... Um, graph that showed bird deaths based on different types of energy sources because I was trying to debunk the whole wind energy is the worst thing for birds situation and one of my friends from college commented on it and was like you know you shared this without a lot of context and I fact checked it and found that it is accurate like it has some accuracy to it it's based on a study but it's always important to 
make sure that you cite the source that it's from Mm -hmm. because anyone can make a graph on the internet and post it to say what they want it to. And it was a good point because it was something I posted because I had a gut feeling that I agreed with it and that data supported my view, but I didn't do that backup research. And he, you know, went and posted the link in the comments to show it, but it it was a good, like, yeah, I agree with this. And it turns out it's true, but like, you also didn't do enough research to actually share it without the context. And then, yeah, fair enough. I got called out and it was the right yeah. thing for him to do. Yeah. So it, it's tough in the world that we live in. There's so much information out there. There, There's so much misinformation out yes. there and things are complicated. You know, not everything is black and white. I have this fear. Basically, every time we do a podcast that I'm yeah. going to share something that is going to come back to be like, oh, is that, was that really the most accurate thing that I could have said or the way, you know? So anyway, there's a lot to it. I just, I had seen this multiple times. And uh, so I just felt like it was important to share because I think Whereas in your example, Casey, you were sharing something that maybe didn't have a lot of context. This is just completely wrong. <laughs> like, like there's right. nothing. But, well, I guess like to, to follow up, it's not just that mine didn't have enough context. Mine happened to be accurate, but it's a good <laughs> reminder to everyone that like anyone can make a graph and anyone can use anyone out can. of context numbers yeah. to make the graph say whatever yeah. they want. So yeah, do that next step and make sure that what you're sharing actually is what yeah. you think it is. Yeah. So what we know about wind turbines and their maintenance is that, like we said at the beginning, is that there's just no comparison to those fossil fuels in terms of the emissions and the environmental costs there. So just know that. Uh, there are other potential environmental concerns with wind farms, too. I mean, certainly land use is a concern, mm-hmm. like we talked about with birds. So we do want to be thoughtful about where we're placing these wind turbines and looking at, you know, doing environmental assessments on those areas. Materials are also an issue. The turbines are going to reach end of life at some point, just like we talked about with solar panels. And so we do need to make sure that we're continuously looking at how that's going to work in improving those resources. The blades, from what I understand, are maybe the, the bigger piece of concern with wind turbines is actually the blade disposal. Um, They're not super easily recyclable as constructed right now. But like I said, I just feel like articles were popping up every day about oh look at this new style of wind turbine blade so there's still potential for improvement there and i was reading too about what they're doing with some of them right now instead of sending them to landfill is actually breaking them down and using them for filler in concrete which we know that concrete isn't the most environmentally friendly thing either but uh perhaps a way to keep those blades from going to landfill so to try to circle around back to the beginning, you see, with my would you rather question. I'm still curious about where we're going with this. Really? Okay. Well, I'm trying to work as well as I was hoping that it would. But basically, like we've said, no, no energy source is perfect. Wind, just like any other, is not perfect. People are going to have differing opinions about what the best solutions are. And just because something has environmental costs, just because something isn't perfect, doesn't mean that we can't make them work. So just like having to live in the same place that you're born in for the rest of your life is not an ideal situation. Neither is having to move 
uh, mm. every month for the rest of your life. Neither of those things are great. Both of them have pros. Both of them have cons. You and I might agree or disagree about which way can be better, but there are things that we could do to make either one of them more manageable. That makes sense. So that's how I feel when I look at wind energy compared to solar, compared okay. to nuclear, or some of these other uh, energy types. And that's just kind of how, what it's come down to for me is as we're doing this kind of energy series, I can't tell you what, what you I think prefer? the best way. Yeah, I can't. I can't rank the energy sources in terms of what I think is the most environmentally friendly or what I think is the best option for us right now. It's not a perfect analogy because what I, I actually we're going to have to do is use all of them. <laughs> uh, so that doesn't right. work as a would you rather. But do you get what I'm saying? Like I, I, yeah, I. Well, I think like yes, it's always going to be a yes and for all of these. It's mm -hmm. like these are going to work in different scenarios. I think the thing to keep in mind is to me continuing down the path that we are currently taking down is like would you rather move all the time or stay in the same place or would you rather the entire world around you be on mm -hmm. fire and like that's really more of the choice of what we're, we're doing is like two options that maybe don't aren't amazing or one option that is just not livable like not literally on fire but like an option that doesn't isn't conducive to life <laughs> and that is is remarkably worse than any either of those options does that make sense I'm being hyperbolic but you went, you you know. went further with it than I was in my <laughs> mind I was just uh just looking at our more environmentally friendly options and saying it's hard to you you can't necessarily say with certainty that this is better than the other and yes there are going to be negative things about them um but either one is something that we can deal with. Yes, I see your point as well. If you add in the like continuing on and doing absolutely nothing <laughs> as being another, right. yeah, yeah. So I just don't want Cole to hang out as one of those options. It's right. like, no, no, no. We, we know actually that that's markedly worse than either of the other options. So throw <laughs> that behind you because it's not one that we're actually yes. should be considering. Yeah. Yes, yes. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, but that, I mean, that's kind of where I've landed though with this, this whole thing is, much like the other renewables that we've talked about, wind energy has its its pluses and minuses. I like it. I like it as a potential energy source. I'm curious to see, you know, where we progress from here. Stick around for our challenges of the week coming up. friends thanks for listening KGC thanks for chatting about wind farms this evening I my challenge for the week is pretty simple I was really struggling struggling to come up with a challenge uh for this one tonight but I think what it comes down to is is like we were saying this is a good option this is a good option of a few options that we have to continue moving on with so I think the challenge is just to learn a little bit more about what progress is happening with wind farms potentially near you. So see if you can find out if there are any wind farm projects on the table 
in your area. Again, area is kind of vague for a reason. Just look around, see what might be in development. If there is anything, is there any opposition? Are there people in your area talking about this? Like it, don't like it? If it's relevant, voice your opinion uh, on it. And I think also to check out the, I'm going to post the link to that American Bird Conservancy map, just so you can kind of see where you're at on that map and where they have you ranked in terms of critical habitat as related to birds and wind farms. Yeah. Okay, guys, just just to quick, like, put a little button on that. I just did my quick Google search to see if I could get my homework out of the way pretty early wild i went on wikipedia on and it was like oh wind farms in pennsylvania and quickly it was like montgomery county which is where i live became the first wind-powered county in the nation and i was like wait what and so i clicked on it and i don't think that that is a completely accurate statement but i clicked on it and i guess it was like from my town that I live in, they have announced a wind energy purchase that the county's electrical accounts, at least for maybe the county itself, maybe not everybody's personal power, is going to be from wind energy. So, wow. yeah, I was like, not around here. There's not a lot of wind, but I guess, yeah, I'll, I'll talk more about it next week when I do a little more research about it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I look forward to that. Um, and yeah, thanks. Thanks, Casey, for chatting. Thanks for your thoughts, opinions, clarifications. And folks, if you listening have anything to share, if you have questions, if you have a story, if you have a suggestion for a future episode, you can find us all over the place. We're on Facebook, A Little Greener Podcast. We're on Instagram at A Little Greener Pod. We're on Twitter at A Greener Podcast. And you can email us at A Little Greener Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.